Welcome to Woodlawn. We're so glad that you've joined us today. Now, one morning I was having my quiet time and the scripture that day really spoke to me. I was reading in the 10th chapter of Acts, which tells of a man named Cornelius who was praying when God spoke to him and directed him to contact Peter. At the same time, Peter was praying when messengers arrived at his house, they were sent by Cornelius. The most significant thing that jumped out to me was this question, who is God looking for? Well, let me explain to you what I'm talking about. I was thinking about that question, and then this verse in 2 Chronicles came to me, which says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to look at those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Now, anytime I read that verse, I'm moved emotionally because it causes me to imagine God constantly looking out over all the earth for faithful disciples that he can use in his mission. When you read that, don't you want to become one of those people? I do. Who is God looking for? For God is looking for people who know him through prayer. They have a relationship with him. They talk to him and they listen to his response. In Acts 10, here's the scripture that we read. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing and gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now, what struck me about these verses was that it points out that not only did Cornelius pray to God regularly, but also that he gave generously to those in need. In reflecting on that, I read further in the verses. One day, about three o'clock in the afternoon, he had a vision and he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, and Cornelius just stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked, and the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Can you imagine an angel appearing to you and saying, your prayers and your gifts have come up as a memorial offering to God. In other words, he's noticed what you're doing. He's watching and listening when you pray. He sees your generosity. How powerful is that? Now, it was significant to me that Cornelius is described in this particular passage as a devout man and a God-fearing man. And also, he prayed and he gave. Now, as I reflected on that, the scripture in Mark came to me, and it talks about Jesus noticing who was giving and what they were giving. It's the story of the widow's might. He also called his disciples over to pay attention to it and to learn a lesson from it. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus watches what we give, that he's interested in what we present to God, and that he not only wants us to wants to see it, but he wants us as disciples to be ever cognizant of it as well. Well, now prayer and giving are combined. Why is that? What does God want to teach us? Before we answer that question, I want us to look a little further in this chapter because I want us to see that Cornelius was faithfully obedient to the little things, and God really worked in his life in a big way, and we'll see that a little bit later on. 
Have your prayers and your generosity ever gotten the attention of God? I'll tell you that I had to stop there and think about that and ask myself that same question. And as I thought, I considered what Cornelius must have considered that day, that maybe my prayers and my generosity would be pleasing to the Lord. And as I thought about that, I had mixed emotions. I had a tremendous desire for that to happen. And also, I was convicted of just how far I need to go in my walk for that to be presentable to the Lord. So what does God do as a result of Cornelius' faithfulness? He gives Cornelius more responsibility, which in turn brings Peter back to Cornelius. Now, we also don't need to lose sight of the fact that Peter was praying as well. You see, we had Cornelius over here praying. We had Peter over here praying. And then Cornelius is led by the Holy Spirit to send three men to Peter. Peter's praying, and then those three men are about to show up, and the Holy Spirit tells him, you can stop praying, and you can go downstairs and meet them now, and then you can follow them and trust them because I've sent them. Let's look at what it says in Acts 10. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, these three men, Peter went up to the roof to pray. And as a result of Peter's prayer, God spoke to him, and Peter had a vision. You see, Cornelius saw an angel, but Peter had a vision. And then it says this, While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was, and they stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision that God had given him, the Spirit said to him, Simon, there are three men looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Can you see how God is at work here in this story? Two men are praying, God's speaking to both of them, and now he's brought them together so that they might communicate with each other. And the reason is for God's purposes to be fulfilled. Cornelius was praying, Peter was praying, and God was using prayer to speak to them, to communicate with them, to connect them, and to allow them to communicate with each other. The result of Cornelius and Peter's prayers and faithfulness and obedience to God was Peter came to Cornelius's to share the gospel. Cornelius found some of his relatives and close friends to listen to Peter. Now, Cornelius is already a Christian. Peter's already a Christian. But here's what's going to happen. Peter's going to share the gospel, and those people that Cornelius assembled there together are going to get saved. You know, last week I told you that God put something on our hearts to pray about so that we can pray about it so that our prayers can be answered. Can you imagine being a part of that kind of purpose for God? If I'm just faithful and obedient, if I just do what God told me to do, he's going to use that in order to draw people to him, and it's going to make a difference in where they spend eternity. Wow. Peter shared the gospel message, and he said it's for everyone, even the Gentiles. And you know what? You and I are Gentiles, and so the message is for us today. As Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon these people, and they were convicted, and they were baptized with water by Peter. 
And the result was a great move of God. And the Lord used Peter and Cornelius to orchestrate the whole thing. Now, what's significant about that story for you and me? Well, very simply put, God is still in the business of communicating with you and me in prayer, blessing our faithful prayer life and our obedience to him to accomplish his purposes today. Who is God looking for? God is looking for you and me if we're willing to seek him and share his message today. If you and I will get serious about our prayer lives, then God will come into our lives. He'll show up. And we can have an intimate relationship with him, and we can communicate with him and him with us. Why are we praying and giving? Why are those two things combined there? What does God want to teach us? Well, God wants us to realize that everything belongs to him. Not just resources, but everything. We're not to pick and choose what's important. We're just to surrender to God and say, Lord, whatever you say, whatever you do, whatever you want, that's the way we're going to go. It's not only a tithe and a time and a talent that we give to God, but it's our prayer life and our work life and our family life and all of life. And God uses our prayers and our giving. Those are just two ways that there's evidence of a surrendered life to him. So who is God looking for? Think about Cornelius. Who is God looking for? Those who are loyal to him. The scripture tells us he was devout and God-fearing. He was loyal. God is looking for those who treasure him. The scripture says he gave generously to those in need. In other words, God was a treasure. He was important to Cornelius. Third, God's looking for those whose thoughts are for him. And he prayed to God regularly. He's talking to God on a daily basis. He's thinking about God. And then fourth, God is looking for those whose words are about him. The scripture says, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called his two servants and a devout soldier and told them everything that had happened. Let me tell you what God just did. It's a testimony. It's a witness. And then he's getting ready to use these three men to draw Peter to come back to Cornelius' house. And then fifth, God is looking for those whose response is to him. He sent them to Joppa. Cornelius prayed, and, and God was looking for somebody who would respond when he called him, and he sent the three men to Joppa to see Peter. And God is looking for those whose worship is of him. And it says in Scripture, Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. In other words, when Peter got there, Cornelius said, Okay, everybody sit down and be quiet because God has sent this man to speak to us today and we're going to intently listen to what he's got to say. And that's what God is calling you and me to do. In 2 Chronicles, the scripture today, God gives us a direction to be faithful and obedient to him in our prayer life in order to see him move in our lives. And that's the value of repentant prayer. Now, there's three things I want to say about this today. And the first is retribution. God will discipline his children. It says in 2 Chronicles, when I shut up the heavens so there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, he's saying I'll use all kinds of things to communicate with my people. For Cornelius, it was an angel. For Peter, it was a vision. 
In 2 Chronicles, God gives examples that he's trying to get people's attention. It's a way of retribution. It's a way of disciplining his children. And God does that because he loves us. You see, God hates sin so much that he'll use a disaster or a plague or really anything he chooses to use in order to get our attention so that he might discipline us if we need it, that God brings that on his people who have sinned in order to remind them of his displeasure of their sinful lives and to bring them back to himself. Disobedience to God brings discipline. And aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that God loves us enough to even discipline us because he cares for us? The writer of Hebrews says, Do not lose heart when God rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes everyone he accepts as a son. In other words, his children, he's going to discipline us because he loves us. The amazing thing about God is that while he will not tolerate sin, he will forgive it. Now, trials, however, are not always a result of sin, right? Trials may come in order to strengthen our faith. In 1 Peter, it says, Suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith is greater worth than gold. And it goes on to say in Scripture, which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Trials may come so that the sufficiency of God's grace will be demonstrated. In other words, I know that God's got enough grace for me. And I know he's got enough grace for you. And it can be demonstrated even in trials. And then also his power can be made perfect in weakness. When we're weak, he's strong. And that's when his power shows up best. When trials come to us as individual believers or Christian community, it's important for us to discern the reason for the trials. The Holy Spirit is able to search our hearts and help us identify sin that we may have led us to be needing in need of God's discipline so that we confess and turn away from those sins. Now, what trials are you facing today? Whatever they are, God can speak to you through them. The Holy Spirit may be speaking to you about sins that need to be confessed about life patterns that need to be changed. He may be convincing you that his grace is sufficient for you. The face of any trial is to try to understand what God is saying and what he is doing. Whatever the trial, believers can face that with the assurance in all things, the Bible says, God works together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose in Romans the 8th chapter. Now, the second thing is reversal, God's turnaround steps. And I want you to listen closely to these few little steps that I'm going to give you because once we've been disciplined by God, then we know what we're supposed to turn from, and here's how to do it. The first step is humility. It's humble repentance. Lord, I'm sorry, and I'm going to turn from that. Second Chronicles tells us, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Now, that scripture goes on, but I'm going to pause right there for a moment because I want to talk about that for a little bit, and then we're going to come back in a few minutes and finish that scripture, okay? It's a humble spirit that helps us deal with the root 
sin of pride in our lives and position ourselves to submit to God's place in our lives. And then after humble repentance is prayer. The purposes of prayer are the second turnaround step because it's an expression of our dependence on God. If we're not dependent on God, why would we pray? But because we are dependent on God, we will pray. And prayer moves humility from an attitude to an action. True prayer is a demonstration of humility. And the most healthy state for any Christian is to always be empty depending on God to fill us with his spirit. Prayer puts human weakness and divine strength together and so that we know there's nothing that God cannot do. Seeking God's face is the third turnaround step that he requires us. Seeking his face takes humility and prayer one step further to humble dependence and restored love in our relationship. Prayer is the conversational part of our relationship with God. To seek God's face, to have a personal relationship with him so that we can love him and we can step back into that relationship that's been broken by sin. And then the final turnaround step is turning from our wicked ways. It is really true repentance. It's more than words. We must see a changed behavior. It's that about face that comes with a humble heart and a new commitment that means we're going to turn from our evil ways to God's ways. Is there anything in your life that requires turning around? Does your prayer life reflect a childlike dependence? Is God the greatest love of your life? Is there a pattern of disobedience to God that requires an about face? We can take these corrective steps right now to make sure that we do these turnabout things in order for our relationship to be right. Whether we've sinned as individuals or as a community of faith, these turnaround steps will lead to forgiveness. God will hear and answer our humble prayers if we're truly repentant. And then third and finally is restoration. God promises restoration to favor. In 2 Chronicles, it says, Then I will hear from heaven. This is the last part of the scripture we referred to just a minute ago. I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. God is a living God. He knows everything that happens on earth. He hears every word. He knows every thought. And if he hears, he's able to intervene and he can respond with his promises. God will forgive our sins. You know what forgiveness means? It means removal, that he will take our sins and literally remove them from us. Because God is willing to remove our sins, then we are no longer guilty before him when we confess and repent and accept his forgiveness. God will heal their land. The healing that God promises is related to these disciplining trials I mentioned that bring us to a response from disobedience to obedience. God promises to reverse the effects of natural disasters like drought and locust and disease and give fruitful crops and good health and abundant life. Now, that was what was going on biblically speaking. In today's world, we might look at healing, and it means restoration of a blessed life that comes from obedience. Is this what you want from your life? If it belongs to you, if you're a believer, then you're living in obedience to God. 
If you've failed and sinned against God, he's still available to you if you'll follow these turnaround steps. The Spirit will lead us through humility and prayer to seek his face and to turn from our evil ways. God wants that for us. He wants us to love him and serve him. He wants us to have an obedient spirit, to be his child and a member of his family. Do you remember how I talked about my devotional at the beginning of this message? And, and I wrote down in my journal that day what I had read, and I thought about what it said. What do you really want, God? And I pray that the answer to that question would always be, what do I really want? I, I want more of Jesus in my life. Who is God looking for? He's looking for you and me. And the question is, who are we looking for? We're often lured away from our first and true passion of loving God by all kinds of things in this world. When was the last time that you let Jesus invite you to want more of him? I want you to make a picture in your mind and imagine confronting Jesus face to face. And I want you to imagine that this is what he asked you, these two questions. Who is it that you are seeking? Who are you seeking? And have you been among, have I been among you so long that you don't know me? In other words, am I seeking Jesus first? Is he number one in my life? Have I got a relationship with him or am I just kind of playing with that and I still don't even recognize him? Who are you seeking today? Do you want Jesus passionately, you know, so that you can't imagine spending one day without him? Do you know him intimately? Do you love him? Is there a new life inside of you? Is there a fruit coming forth from your relationship with him? James says this, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And then it goes on to say in the book of James, and it's talking, it's quoting about a prophet in the Old Testament, Elijah. And it says, Elijah was a man just like us. And he prayed earnestly that it would rain and then it would not rain, and the rain did not come for three and a half years. So he prayed, Lord, stop the rain. And for three and a half years, three and a half years, it didn't rain. And he told the people, I'm going to pray and ask God to do this. And then he said, now I'm going to ask God to make it rain. And that's exactly what he did. And, and the Bible says it started raining, and they were able to produce crops again. And why did he do that? He did that so people might know the one true God. He did that to glorify God. He did that to help them see, hey, this God is real. He's not just made up or imaginary. We've got all these other gods. They don't do anything for us. This God really responds. He's there. He's real. Prayers for rain were answered. And then I want to just share with you in 2 Kings this powerful story. I talked about this a little bit last week. In those days, Hezekiah became ill. Now, this is King Hezekiah, and it was at the point of death. And there was a prophet named Isaiah who would come to Hezekiah and speak to him on behalf of the Lord. And he went to him, the prophet Isaiah went to Hezekiah, and he says, this is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you're going to die. You will not recover. And Hezekiah, the Bible says, turned his face to the wall, and he prayed to the Lord. And remember, O Lord, how I've walked with you faithfully, and how wholeheartedly I've shared my devotion, and I've done what is good in your eyes. And the Bible says that Hezekiah wept bitterly. Now listen to this. God answered him, and he answered Hezekiah through Isaiah. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, 
the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the, the leader of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. And this is what God says through Isaiah to Hezekiah, King Hezekiah. I have heard your prayers. I have seen your tears and I will heal you. And he goes on and says, in fact, I will add 15 years to your life. Can you imagine saying to God, look, Lord, I'd love to be with you today, but I just feel like there's more I need to do here on earth before I go to heaven. Could you give me just a little bit more time? And God's saying, I've heard your prayers. I've seen your tears. And I'm going to add 15 years to your life. Wow. God added 15 years to his life. Why? Because he prayed. What would God like to do for you? Why don't you ask him? Let's pray. Lord, we're just so grateful that we can have a relationship with you. That because of your son, we can talk to you. We can pray to you anytime, day or night, any day, any night, 24-7. And not only will you listen, but you will respond. We can listen to you, and we can hear your response to us. Father, what a privilege it is to, to just have an audience with you anytime we need it. Anytime we want to just open up and share with you, you're available. Lord, I'm just excited about what you want to do in our lives in the future. I'm excited about how you use things every day, even things like COVID, to draw us closer to you. Lord, I just pray that all people might know you, that they might walk with you. I pray for healing. I pray for a cure for COVID. But Lord, I pray that you would use even it to draw people closer to you. I pray in your son's name.